I'm going to start with uh, what I think is a fun question. Adam, go ahead and give me number two, please. Number two. And the question is this. What does Crusograph mean? Anybody know what the Crusograph is? Most of you probably know it as the K. It is the weekly newsletter that goes out to over 1,200 different people. It's available online. Uh, currently, all of your ministers are contributing in one way or another, either via article or announcement or hospital prayer list, whatever it may be. It goes back to 1957. Preacher Billy Junkins began this weekly gathering, and the word Caruso is Greek, and it means to proclaim, to herald, to preach. And what the Caruso graph is, is a weekly proclamation, herald of what is taking place in the life of the church. How many of you read the Caruso graph on a regular basis, okay? See, there's a lot of hands that went up, but there's a lot of hands that did not go up. And I'm just going to throw this in. If you do not get the Caruso graph and you would like to, write me a note. You can also access it at our website, www.clintonfcc.com, every week. Karen, we have it up and running usually by noon on Tuesday most weeks. So uh, again, this is a great way to get tapped into, but for 53 years, the Caruso Graph has been a publication of First Christian Church. Adam, let's go right now to number 13. Number 13 is the fellowship time from 10.30 to 11 on Sunday successful? If not as well attended as hopeful, what are the plans for this event? Well, some of you have been partnering with us from the very beginning by helping in one way or another with our fellowship time. Raise your hand right now if you're helping in one way or another. Um, many of you enjoy it because you go get a cup of coffee or a pastry or whatever it may be. This was started in October of 2009. We changed our service times a little bit. We used to start second service at 1045. Now we started at 11. We wanted to give you an opportunity to meet other people in First Christian Church. We are a large body of believers. We average between 650 and 700 many weeks. We have two very different services, one at 815, one at 11. And I had people tell me after we started the fellowship time, um, I didn't even know so-and-so went to First Christian Church. I met them at the fellowship time. Now, that said, has it been as successful as I hoped for? It really has not in that I was hoping to see the Family Life Center packed Sunday in, Sunday out during that 1030 hour. So are we getting rid of it? Absolutely not. But I want to just remind you, it's a great opportunity for you to get connected with your brothers and sisters in Christ and honestly with new people that are coming to our church. Um, let's go to number 15. We'll jump up to number 15. And again, all of these questions were submitted um, that I'm going to have a number for prior to this morning. We did have several excellent questions come in during first service, and I hope that you will text in questions as well. Number 15, do you feel that we, the church, have become too casual both in dress and in attitude? Um, and I do not. I do not. I believe the church is the body of Christ, and we are a diverse body of Christ. I referenced a couple people first service that every week they're wearing their coat and tie. Larry Calvert every week. Alan Bell every week. Kent Hickerson many weeks coat and tie. Now he's just got the, the coat on today. That's because it's about 80 degrees in here. But that's another story for another time. Um, 
some of you right now are probably wearing a t-shirt and shorts and a flip-flop would be my guess. And that's okay as well. I really believe that the truth of 1 Samuel 16.7 reigns true in my heart as it pertains to Christians, and that is this. God does not look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. What's the Lord look at? The Lord looks at the heart. So I want you to know, I hope you will come in a way that you are comfortable. Sometimes I'm wearing the polo and khakis. Sometimes I have a suit and tie on. I haven't had the courage yet to go with the shorts and the flip-flops. Um, that's supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh, but um, I think Adam had flip-flops on a couple weeks ago, right? We'll talk about that in staff meeting later. <laughs> um, I want this to be a place where anyone and everyone feels welcome all the time. I didn't get to this question first service, but I think it's a really important question, and so I want to tackle Adam number 23, please. Number 23 um, comes in and it says, why are you called pastor? When, in the New Testament, the elders were the shepherds or pastors who taught the flock and protected the church from false teaching. And in this individual references, Acts 20 and Titus 1.9. If you have your Bibles, real quickly, turn to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4, the book of Ephesians is an excellent, excellent book. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we see this, um, this heading, unity in the body of Christ. And Paul is very passionate that as Christians, we are to be one. There shouldn't be division. There shouldn't be divisiveness. Now, we're humans. Um, there's going to be division, and there's going to be divisiveness because we are humans, unfortunately. But I love the description that Paul shares, beginning with verse 11. He says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You do not see in the New Testament the mandate for a vocational minister that would operate primarily in one church, okay? Now, I'm not resigning, and I don't think that most pastors in America or ministers or reverends or whatever the terminology may be, but you don't necessarily see that. That said, when I hear this list of giftedness, when I read apostle, when I read prophet, when I read evangelist, when I read pastor, teacher, the, the term that I think fits best what I do and what Adam does and what Ernie does and what Kent does and what Jim Koontz does is that title of pastor-teacher. My official title, if you care, is Minister of Preaching and Teaching. That's what I spent a lot of my time doing and preparing to do. That's what I believe my primary giftedness is in. And so there is that description of preacher minister, pastor kind of used interchangeably. Now, I will tell you, 25 years ago, many people within the independent Christian church would never refer to their preacher as pastor. Um, that was considered kind of taboo in many ways. Um, but, but I believe a lot of what we do as full-time vocational ministers falls into that pastor-teacher category. Very, very good question. One more question here that I want to get to um, and it was brought by uh, Cindy Andrews, and we had this big old Facebook discussion. Some of you might have seen it. Cindy was on it. Um, Lori Evans was on it. I I'm trying to remember everybody else. Um, 
Pam Rogers was on it. I think Jill uh, Ridenour even chimed in. And the question was, what kind of church are we? Some people have said to these ladies, you're not really a, a true church because you don't preach the Old Testament. You don't teach the Old Testament. Well, if you've been around here for any time at all, you know that's not the case. You know that we very much preach and teach the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. At the same time, there's a, a growing trend that um, churches today are trying to, they're, they're calling it restoring the New Testament church. They want to be the church at Antioch. They want to be the church at Jerusalem. They want to be the church at Ephesus or the church at Corinth. And I don't see that as a biblical call. I don't think we're called to be the church at Antioch or to be the church at Jerusalem. We're called to be the Christian church at Clinton. And we're called to make a difference. Matthew 28 says we're called to go and make disciples, uh, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching uh, to obey everything that he commanded. In Matthew chapter 22, we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Um, so, so that said, what type of church are we? We are a church that's trying to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, are we a New Testament church? In many ways, absolutely yes. Much of what we do on Sunday morning revolves around Acts 2.42. You might want to look that up. It says that the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And you know what's not in that? Special music isn't in that. I, but I love special music. Don't get me wrong. I love special music. But um, that, that really is kind of the, and we're going to have special music today, but that's really kind of the, the driving scripture that I think of when I try to put together, or we try to put together a Sunday morning service. I love Acts 2.42. I said that was the last one. I'm going to do one more, and then we're going to worship. Um, number 28 came in from my friend Jan Dial. And she wanted to know what my favorite book of the Bible was and what my favorite verse of the Bible is. And, you know, asking a preacher their favorite book of the Bible, um, I mean, come on, that's like, uh, that's very challenging to do in many ways. I love the book of Acts. I love the history. If you don't know the history of the church, read the book of Acts. I love the book of Romans. I love the fact that every major revival in the history of Christianity has been spurred on by study and preaching of the book of Romans. But if I had to pick one book, and some of you will know this, I love the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians is, um, if there was one word that really described it, I think it's the word comfort. And in a world where so many people are discouraged and so many people are hurting, I don't know if there's a more encouraging book of the Bible than 2 Corinthians. If you find yourself walking through a really tough time, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, um, read 2 Corinthians 4 every day, and I guarantee you, you will be encouraged. My favorite verse also would come from the book of 2 Corinthians. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It just reminds me what a difference Jesus can make. So again, send your questions in via text. I'm going to unplug and go back here and see what's come in. And Marsha, let's worship. All right, let's stand up and sing. Um, you can stand the whole time if you like to stand and sing the whole time. If you get tired of standing and you want to sit down, sit down. You can do whatever you want. You can jump up and down. You can clap hands. You can raise hands, whatever you want to do. We're all here to praise the Lord this morning.
breathe, author of all eternity, giver of every perfect faith, to you be the glory, maker of heaven and of earth, no one can comprehend your word. Jesus, because he came and he rescued us from ourselves and from the sinful life that, that we live in. He came to give us a new name and glory.
Heaven's m o 
All right, thank you. Isn't it great to have Forgiven with us today? And Mr. Hall on the saxophone, that's great. Thank you, thank you very much. All right, a question came in right after we began this. Um, why don't we recite the Lord's Prayer anymore? Why don't we sing the doxology anymore? Uh, a couple people even asked me why we never recite the Apostles' Creed. Well, that, that's a, a, a long question that needs a really long answer, um, and I don't really have time for that this morning, other than to say when the Christian churches were founded back in 1800, the Restoration Movement, one of the, the real staples of that movement was this idea, no creed but Christ. The idea was to get away from man-made creeds and get back to the truth of God's Word. Well, why no Lord's Prayer? Why no doxology? How many of you remember going to church and reciting the Lord's Prayer? Maybe singing the doxology. Wouldn't the men take up the offering, and then we'd sing the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the men would come down and drop off the offering. Um, I would say that churches have changed over time. Um, I, I like the Wheaties illustration in many ways. The Wheaties cereal is the same cereal today that it was 100 years ago. But the box changes all the time. And I, I would say that it would probably would be good if we occasionally recited the Lord's Prayer. It would be good if we occasionally sang the doxology. But things have changed. Now, I will tell you, there's a Christian church in our county. I preached for them last October, and we recited the Lord's Prayer. We sang the doxology. It was like stepping back to vacation Bible school in 1980 for me in many ways. And I, that's not a funny comment. I mean, it was a great service to be a part of. So there are still churches that do the Lord's Prayer, do the doxology every week. Chris, go ahead and put the slide up that says the six staples of First Christian Church. We have a ton of questions about membership and about baptism, and just pick one. Go, go wherever you want with that. Um, when I meet with people that are interested in knowing more about our church, they want to know more about FCC, I give them a document that spells out uh, the six defining beliefs of First Christian Church. And I don't put a the in front of it like I just did now because there are many defining beliefs, but if you were to try to explain to somebody how is First Christian Church may be different from the United Methodist Church or the Assembly of God or the Presbyterian or the Baptist or Catholic or Lutheran or whatever it may be, these are six staples that you will find with our church and quite honestly with every independent Christian church that I know of. Of, okay? Number one, our Bible, our, the Bible is our only authority. You may say, well, what else is there? Many churches place tradition right alongside God's Word when it comes to authority. Unfortunately, some churches today have brought human reason into that equation as well. We say our authority is with the Word of God. Number two, we believe you're saved only by the grace of God. You cannot earn your salvation. It's a free gift from God. It's not cheap, but it's a free gift from God. We practice, number three, baptism by immersion as part of the salvation process. And I know that's a rub for some people. Some people say, well, you know, does it really matter if you sprinkle or if you immerse? Does it really matter if it's done when you're two weeks old or 20 years old or 80 years old or seven years old? We believe that as we read the New Testament, when we see the instances of conversion described in the book of Acts and other places, we see this process that takes place where people believe and they repent and they confess 
and they're baptized by immersion. And, and, and Romans 12, they live the Christian life. That was Walter Scott, one of the founding fathers of the Restoration Movement. He had the five-finger exercise, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live the Christian life. And, and that's what we practice. So in order to be a member of First Christian Church, you do have to be baptized by immersion. Uh, I'd like to give you the First Peter 3 picture of being buried and then being brought up again. Um, Ivy Quartz, after first service, referenced the scripture in 1 Corinthians that equates the, the symbolism of baptism with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, we offer a class every year, Discover FCC. It'll be offered in the early fall. And if you'd like to know more about this, I take about 90 minutes to go through this. I would love to have you come. If you can't wait to the fall or you don't want to wait to the fall, we would love to meet with you anytime. Contact myself, Adam, Ernie, Kent, or Jim, and we'd be glad to talk to you more about what being a member of First Christian Church is all about. Weekly observation of the Lord's Supper, I'll talk about that in just a minute. Staple number five is every member ministry, and number six is independence of the local congregation. We do not have a denomination that is in charge of us and other churches, independence of the local denomination. Now, I do from an integrity standpoint, and this will make some longtime FCC people probably not very happy. I don't see in the New Testament a mandate for local church membership. Now, I'm not against it. I'm a member of First Christian Church, and I would love for you to be a member of First Christian Church, but I do not see the call in the New Testament to be a member of the church at Antioch or a member of the church at Jerusalem or a member of the church at Ephesus or Corinth or so on. We're called to be Christ followers. We're called to be Christians. And so if you, for whatever reason, you say, I want to go here, I, I want to be an attender, I'm not going to be a member of First Christian Church, um, that's your choice. Someone texted me after first service, if I'm not a member, can I still get my picture in the new church directory? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. In fact, I want all of you to sign up starting next week to get your picture taken in the new church directory. Um, Adam, go ahead and put up number 21, please. Number 21. We're going to transition into our time of communion. And this question came in early on when we first announced this. Why communion every Sunday? How do we practice communion differently than other churches and denominations? And do you believe, Pastor, that the bread and the juice actually become the body and the blood of Jesus? Well, Every week, observation of the Lord's Supper is a pattern of Christian church life as long as there's been a restoration movement. We follow the example of the church at Troas. If you want to look up Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it is a descriptive verse, not a prescriptive verse, but a descriptive verse that it says that the Christians at Troas gathered on the first day of the week for the breaking of bread. That's the example that we follow. I want to say this loud and clear. I always want to be a part of a church that does communion every week. What is communion? We do communion to remember Jesus, to remember that he went to the cross for you and for me, that we have forgiveness of sins because of Jesus. I love the fact that every week, no matter what's going on, if we're doing a class act kids musical, we're going to do communion. Now that said, I don't ever feel liberty to go to my Methodist friends or my Baptist friends or my Presbyterian friends and say, we're right, and you're wrong on this issue, okay? I, I, I will not, and I would say you should not do that. I, I, I would not ever be comfortable not having it every week, but I do not feel that is a prescriptive, you have to do it every Sunday, verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Um, 
How is it different from other churches and denominations? Well, to my knowledge, the only churches in Clinton that do communion every Sunday would be the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, and the Christian Church. Church Christ would be number four. Those are the only that I'm aware of. I could be wrong. I'm wrong much of the time. But um, that's all that I know of. And then finally, do I believe the bread and the juice actually become the body and the blood of Jesus? Some of you grew up Catholic. Some of you may still be Catholic. And you're here for whatever reason. That's awesome. I'm glad that you're here. Catholic theology would teach that when the priest prays over the bread and the wine, and they pray a prayer in Latin, haces corpum meum, I can't say it very well, this is the body, this is the blood, they believe that the bread stops being bread and the wine stops being wine. The bread is now the literal body of Jesus, the wine is now the literal blood of Jesus. Um, we do not believe that. That's the doctrine of transubstantiation. We do not believe that. Lutherans believe in consubstantiation, that the body coexists with uh, the bread and the, the wine coexists with the blood. We believe that the wafers you're going to take in just a moment are wafers that symbolize Jesus' body. We believe that the wine is turned into grape juice and that the, it's a joke, it's not a very good one, but that the grape juice that you drink, they didn't get it either service, you know, I got to scratch that off, okay, that the grape juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus. It's just as powerful in, in, my, in my opinion. And I would say no one should take communion lightly or flippantly. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's description of communion, beginning with verse 23. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm going to pray and the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass the elements and we invite you to take the wafer, the cracker, as it's passed but to hold the cup of juice so that together we can drink the cup together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the chance to remember Christ, for the chance to proclaim his death. We love you, and we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Okay, number four on our questions that have come in, and this will be our offering devotion this morning, is why is our church building used by so many so often, and is that a positive thing? And I've been asked this by many people in the almost five years that I've served here, and some people think our building's used too much, and other people think it's not used enough. And the best way I can answer it is this, First Christian Church is a ridiculously blessed church. I hope you understand that. Um, God has poured out blessings on this church in ways uh, we probably don't deserve, quite honestly. And, and as I have understood the history of our church, when this sanctuary was built, it was completed in 1997. And then um, when the Family Life Center was refurbished starting in 2002 and it was completed in 2004, the vision of the leadership at that time, um, Kent was the preacher during that time, there were several elders, they wanted this facility excuse me, to be used by the community. They, they wanted to see people have a place to gather together. And so a, a really thankless committee at our church is the Building and Grounds Committee. They do an awesome job, but they really have their hands tied in many ways because they're trying to be very good stewards of what God has blessed us with. They're trying to keep it up, um, make sure that it's not abused, while at the same time having standards put in place so that abuse does not take place. So if you know anybody on Building and Grounds, in fact, if you're on Building and Grounds, raise your hand right now. I know we got a couple people. I'm really thankful for you and for the work that you do. Um, First Christian Church is a ridiculously blessed church. God has poured out blessings upon us. Now, let me share a verse with you, uh, the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. Here's what he says. From everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So I don't think we ought to spend time today taking a victory lap. I don't think we ought to spend time today um, breaking our hand as we are breaking our arm as we pat ourselves on the back. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we should very much realize how much God has blessed us and continue to sacrificially give our time, our talents, and our treasure. 
to the Lord. Let's pray. God, thanks for the chance right now to give back to you just a small portion of what you've blessed us with. Uh, We love you so much. You've been so good to us. Thank you for the blessings you pour down upon us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, Marsha was originally going to sing, and she's graciously allowed me to move her special to next week for time's sake. Marsha, thank you so much. Appreciate that very much. I want to move on with um, the question, Adam, about women. We've had several questions come in about women. Um, Do I like women? Yes, I like women. That wasn't really a question. That wasn't really a question. Um, Our church is different than some churches in that um, we have a male eldership. In the history of our church, we've only had male preachers. But if you go back and read the history of our church, we have had female associate ministers, um, directors, I, I think they were called at one time. And the bottom line is, many people want to know, why aren't we like the church down the street that has a female preacher? Why aren't we like the church down the street that has women elders? Um, we believe in reading verses of Scripture like, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5, that God's intentional and uh, original plan was for a male leadership for the church. Now, I know not everyone's going to agree with that. Um, I know there are churches, quite honestly, that have had that as their goal, and they couldn't find any men that were willing to step up to the table, and so they had to have female leadership. That said, I think without a doubt, God loves you if you are a woman, and God wants you to serve if you are a woman without a shadow of a doubt. Now, the specific question, I think, let me look here, was, um, that's actually not the question that I was referring to. That is a good question, though. Um, there was a question that came in about ushers, I think, and about, you know, why, why couldn't women pass the elements? Why couldn't women, um, you know, collect the greeting cards? And you know what my answer to that is? They can, and we probably should do that. We probably should be moving in that direction. I don't think your communion is more holy because Galen serves you compared to April serving you. I do not believe that. Um, I hope you don't believe that. And and honestly, that's something that we need to transition toward. Um, Another question came in about deacons. Why don't we have deacons? Deacons are a biblical concept. Uh, Acts chapter 6 is where we see them first described. They were set off for a specific need, and the question came in and said, we've eliminated all deacons. Well, the bottom line is we have not eliminated all deacons. We have deacons. We just don't call them deacons. You know what we call them? Ministry team leaders. Our ministry team leaders serve as deacons or deaconesses. Now, you may say, why do you call them ministry team leaders? Because uh, instead of a deacon or a deaconess, I think a ministry team leader best describes the function that's ongoing. But they are deacons and they are deaconesses. Barb Baker is the head of our benevolence ministry. Uh, J.D. Harold is the head of our mission committee. Um, I'm trying to think of other committees. Our finance team is led by Tim Winthy right now. So our ministry team leaders are deacons. Um, I had a question that came in from uh, Jan Dial that I really liked. She said, do you think we're living in the last times? And do you believe the church will be raptured pre, mid, or post-tribulation? Do I believe we're living in the last times? Absolutely. Do I think we're going to be pre, mid, or post-tribulation? I've got a really great answer for that. I have absolutely no idea at all. No clue. No idea at all. Um, I am not a premillennial dispensationalist. 
Okay? Have you guys seen the Left Behind movies? Many of you have seen those movies or read those books. Um, I would not be someone that, if, if I thought how it was all going to unfold, I would not write the Left Behind book myself. Um, I'm a student of uh, just a great man that passed away this year by the name of Bob Lowry. He was an amillennialist. He believed that much of the book of Revelation was symbolic and that it wouldn't necessarily all be literally fulfilled, that the prophetic vision wouldn't um, specifically be fulfilled in every way. But, but I want to say this, I could be wrong. I may very well be wrong. But this much I know, and this much you should embrace, Jesus is coming again, and you need to be ready, and I need to be ready. That's one of the great weaknesses, I think, um, of people that get so caught up in the discussion of end times Uh, I think in many ways, um, they've missed the biggest picture of all. And the biggest picture of all is Jesus is coming again, and you need to be ready. I need to be ready. That's why our mandate to go into all the world is so incredibly, incredibly important. Um, Let's go to, uh, let's look at the uh, questions that have come in, Adam. Did we have a question we were going to put up there, buddy? Or have we already went through that? By the way, I'm really thankful for Adam. He's helped me out a ton this morning. Adam, great job. Let me see here real quickly. Is the air on? I'm not sure about that. Um, but whoever texted that in, great, great question. Great, great question. Okay. Um, Give me that second slide. Give me the tulip slide, please. Uh, the question came in by many, and I, I know many are um, wondering about this, this theology we know as Calvinism. John Calvin was, um, was a man that lived several hundred years ago. He developed a systematic theology, and it's best described through the acronym TULIP, uh, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. And Calvinism is really on the rise in America. There's some very famous preachers, uh, Mark Driscoll, Rob Bell, to, to name two, that are proponents of Calvinism. And if I were to try to summarize all of that with um, one concept, it's this. The Calvinists believe very much in the absolute sovereignty of God. That if God is absolutely in control. And so irresistible grace, they would say, if God's grace is poured out on Susan Klein, she cannot resist God's grace. It's irresistible. If God's grace is poured out upon her, she is helpless to do anything but accept that grace. Um, They would believe in total depravity, that a baby, when they come out of the womb, that baby is born sinful. And that's really where the roots of infant baptism come from in many ways, the, 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 the rationale for it in many ways. Um, there's a man by the name of Jacob Arminius, and he became the father of Arminianism. And it would kind of be, um, be a contrast to Calvinism, and his big idea was this idea of free will, that we all have free will, and that really you can resist God's grace. You'd be silly to do it, but God's grace is resistible. And the world has given us example after example after example of people that have resisted God's grace. Um, I don't want to paint this morning that you have to be 100% tulip Calvinist or 100% Arminian. I I think in many ways um, the two do merge together at times. But I would tell you historically and currently, First Christian Church, I would say, has always leaned a little more closely to Arminianism. 
a little more closely to the concept of free will. What's John 3.16 say? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. A question came in as we were doing this first service. Okay, Greg, what about once saved, always saved? Where do you stand on that? That's the P, the perseverance of the saints. The Calvinist would say that once you are safe and secure, you cannot lose your salvation. And they just ask point blank, do I believe you can lose your salvation? Yes, I do believe you can lose your salvation. Um, and, and I think I believe that because I've seen it unfold. I'll give an example of a, a very close friend in high school. I won't name him. But when we were in high school, um, he started coming to our church he made the decision to be a Christian, very active in our church, very involved. Jesus was Lord of his life. And I believe without a doubt at 17, if he would have died, he would go to heaven. Today he is 42, and he has intentionally and willfully walked away from the faith. He has decided that he does not want to be a Christ follower. And while I'm not God, and I'm not passing judgment in any way, I would not want to be in his shoes if he were to die today. Now, my Calvinist friends would say to me, well, he was never a Christian in the first place. I disagree. So can a person lose their salvation? I would say that they can. That said, if you're driving home and your kid's driving you crazy and you turn around and you say, shut the up at them and you curse, um, I don't believe that that instance right there, I didn't really cuss, did I? You're all looking at me funny. I don't think I did, did I? I don't think so. Okay, that would be something we'd never forget, wouldn't it? That would really be something. Um, I don't believe that unless you specifically right then, right there, stop the van, ask for forgiveness, you're absolutely going to hell. I don't believe that. I think as Christians, we, we should revel in the fact that the victory has been won, and we should live as free Christians, freed by the grace of God. But I do believe people have intentionally and willfully walked away from the faith. A um, couple more questions I want to get to here. Um, go ahead and give me number give me number 11 real quickly as we wrap up this morning. Number 11. Is there a reason for the repetition of the announcements of upcoming events? They're printed in the Caruso graph, the Sunday bulletin, they're on the screen, and then you mention them again on Sunday morning. And there is a great reason for that. And please accept this with grace. You all don't read, and you all don't listen, okay? I don't know why, but if I just put a little tidbit in the K, most people are going to miss it. In fact, how many of you read the K on a regular basis, would you say? Okay? There's not near enough hands going up right now. And I want you to know you can get the K online. We would love to have the K in your hand every week. You will be blessed by it. Bottom line, when myself or Ernie stand before you and we make an announcement, it seems to stick more than if it's just in the bulletin or just on the screen or just in the K. Hey, I want to wrap up this morning, and I want to go ahead and have the worship team come on up as we get ready to move into our invitation this morning. Um, a question that didn't come in that, that I want to tackle as we close today is, is there any hope without Jesus? Another way to say that is, is Jesus the only way? We live in a pluralistic society. We are told that we need to be tolerant. We are told that we need to embrace everything. And I just want to stand before you as we get ready for our invitation time this morning to let you know that I believe 
with all my heart that when Jesus said in John 14, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father except by me, he meant that 100% literally. And if you're here today for whatever reason, maybe you read about it in one of the Clinton papers and you thought, I'm going to go see what Ask the Pastor is all about. I do not want you to walk out those doors without realizing that life without Jesus Christ is a life without hope. We're going to sing a song right now. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, I'd love to have you come forward this morning. I'd love to end this service with a baptism. If you aren't ready to make that decision, but you want to know more information about what being a Christian is all about, grab me afterwards, grab Ernie afterwards, grab Adam afterwards. Let's stand together as we sing together our song of commitment. Thank you all for coming today. Um, Next week, we're going to be blessed to hear Ernie preach. Um, And before we leave today, our first ever Ask the Pastor Sunday, there will be a second. We want to have a couple giveaways. And uh, Ernie got really mad at me first service because I was talking too much. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to our fearless children's minister as soon as he is ready. You're still talking way too much, but that's all right. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I'm sorry. Greg, there was one thing I disagreed with you during your sermon today. Really? Yeah. What's that, buddy? Um, I'd much rather have April serve me than Galen serve me. Oh, but okay. that's okay. All that's right. all right. Don't worry go. about it. There you go. Real quick, here we go. If your birthday is today, raise your hand for me. Your birth, Come here, Seth. Your, your birthday. birthday is today. Do we have anybody's birthday today? If your birthday is tomorrow, whoa, today? Today. Ruth, you've got some birthday cups and some birthday napkins. Go give those back to Ruth. All right. Jim's not here. We okay, can't. All right. All right. Jim's not here. What? 
She had to check her wallet. All right. All right. <laughs> if you were baptized most recently, baptized most recently, I've got Ezra at Saturday. Saturday the 2nd. The 2nd, Anybody right? Anybody been baptized since July 2nd? Ezra, give, give him Ezra a hand. Give Ezra a big hand, all right. And I love the shirt. Love the shirt. Okay, Abra wanted me to do the, who lives the closest, but I decided to do the farthest. Um, if you came the farthest to church today, like if you drove in yesterday or today or later on this week, who's driven in the farthest to church today? Who, I had somebody from Florida this morning. I came from church. Where are you from? Where are you from? Lincoln? Anybody farther than Lincoln? Where at? Jen! Oh, where are you from? Oh, oh my, that's our winner, I think. Where are you from? Oh. Which one's farther? You mean you don't know? Uh, go give it to one of those ladies back there, whichever one's farther. Give them a big hand. Hey. Last one. Hey, what'd you get on your ACT? Last oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Last one. You might want to get your purse and your wallet ready. <laughs> Last one. If you have a $100 bill, now just hold on, in your purse or wallet, I need to see it. I've got to see it. It's not your problem. I've got to see it. I don't see it. Hey, right there, back hey, there. Kevin there we go. Right there. Make sure you get that $100, okay? All right. All give right. it to Kevin. Good job. <laughs> All right. Good job. All right. All right. Hey, seriously, thank you for coming out today. We are going to do our next Ask the Pastor Sunday on a one-service Sunday, January 1st. So don't have any wild and crazy New Year's Eve plans. We need to have you here Sunday morning, January 1st at 930 for our next Ask the Pastor. Many of you are probably saying, I got ripped off. I texted in a question or I wrote a question and it didn't get answered. We're going to answer every question over time. Uh, time just did not allow. How many did we get this time? You know, 17, I think. Is that right? Uh, we had over 48 come in just to let you know. So thank you for being a part of this. Let's stand and we'll close our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for today. And thank you for the opportunity to worship you in a very unique way this morning. We love you and help us never to forget what's most important. Your call on my life, on our lives, to be your disciples. To be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.